Social emotional learning, it's the new way. Where culturally responsive meets innovation. Hey, Resilient Ones. My name is Kristen Hopkins, founder of the Dangers of the My Education Fund and creator of Black SEL. I'm a social and emotional expert, curriculum developer, and social entrepreneur who believes in the holistic development of Black youth and adults through culturally responsive and affirming resources. Welcome to the Black SEO Podcast, formerly known as Dangers of the Mind. Welcome to Black SEL, Blackity Black, Blackity Black, the social and emotional hub for Black people. Listen, welcome to another Black SEL episode. I am so excited for today's episode. And as you all know, we are Black SEL, where we create and open up a space for Black people to share their experiences, their expertise, be vulnerable, all while highlighting key social and emotional skills. And our goal is to make SEL relatable, tangible, where you can feel it, and sustainable in the black communities. So today's guest is no other than my friend, my friend, my friend, Sierra Hinton. And listen, before we jump into this much needed conversation today about black SEL and black media, I'm just going to give you some facts. You know how we do. I got some good, good credential friends that y'all need to hear a little bit about them. And then we're going to talk about, because she being real modest in this uh, in this, this, this little bio here. All right. So we're going to get into some things. But Sierra Brown Hinton is a creative strategist who centers imagination, play, and community in her work. She loves building with teens and individuals as they drive towards outcomes that matter in a way that is inclusive and authentic. We love to be authentic, okay? <laughs> Sierra is the executive director, publisher at Scallywag Magazine, a Southern Black-led and centering digital-first media organization reporting with communities on the intersection, come on, of culture, race and systems of power and privilege we're gonna dissect that in a minute because you don't hear them you don't hear media programs and, and companies doing all that okay <laughs> sierra is also a member of blue engine a collaborative uh, a collaborative that works with media companies startup foundations and others on revenue and audience growth product development, consumer user experience, and digital strategy. I don't even know if I knew that. So we're going to talk about that. Okay. So Sierra, welcome to Black SEL. Thank you. I'm so excited to be Blackity here. Black. You got to make you Black. Oh, black. Blackity Black. Black, Black, Black. Blackity Black. Black, Black, Black. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited for this episode because to be honest, like Black people, we are mass consumers of many things. Yes. And one of them is fashion. Mm-hmm. And Another one is media, yes. right? And so I'm just so excited to talk to you today, not just about media in the black culture, but about how we infuse media with social emotional learning. And then also, you know, talking about you and your journey. So tell us, let's start by you telling us who is Sierra Hinton and how did you get into the media and being, because this is no small thing, like you're the executive <laughs> director and publisher of a media company that literally has a magazine yeah. attached to it. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I like to say that I came into this work accidentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, like so many um, Black women in particular, uh, there was a transition that happened mm-hmm. um, and the organization was left sort of in a place of needing someone to step up and lead. And um, I was the person who did that. And so that's how I came into my role Mm -hmm. um, to see the organization through a turnaround, really. Um, And that decision, uh, not only for me, but for the folks I was working with at that time, which turned out that the folks who sort of stuck around Mm -hmm. through the hard stuff, through the muck, it's a group of women, Mm -hmm. Um, all of us Southern women, most of us Black women. So... Um, you know, for us, we really saw the a vision. We had a shared vision mm-hmm. for what 
Scalawag could be and do mm-hmm. and um, the sort of things that it could help create and manifest mm-hmm. in community. Um, and we wanted to see that through. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's how we went from being very, very broke uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, today um, having a team of almost 20 people working to create uh, liberatory content. Wow. A team of 20 people, y'all. Listen, and Sierra, if you don't mind, can you just state your age? Oh, yeah. I think I'm 32. Yes, that sounds right. And <laughs> like leading 20 that... women. For, like, this is not like a, an average person could not do this. So let's just state that. State the facts, right? Because <laughs> like, for real, I think in the back community, we don't give our people flowers when they deserve them. We we wait to see 50 years old and say, ah, oh, she's accomplished all of these <laughs> the things. The legacy. Right. And it's like, no, this is the legacy right now. You know what I mean? Yes. Give my flowers. So I give you your flowers because... Thank you, thank you. 32 managing 20 people that's all these personalities that's all that's di- that's different work work like relationships yes. all yes. of the things that's a lot and so first of all thank you for doing this and mm-hmm. doing this great work but i want to also honor you because it's not easy i know it's not <laughs> and i know personally uh we have conversations <laughs> we right all the time <laughs> um, and y'all are in this whole executive director world and now i'm i'm in yes, i've, I've yes, become into yes. this world now and i'm like oh I don't know. <laughs> you know but i admire you guys because i'm not there yet of managing that many people yeah. and to see you do it and do it well is is hope thank is you inspiration thank so you. that's that but i also will say that when you say accidentally because a lot of times when we go into fields accidentally, we don't have the confidence, right? Yes. And so how did you like gear up or gird up this, this confidence? What were some things that you were doing to like get that in, in a place to say, I'm actually supposed to be here. I was actually called Yeah. Here. So I guess an additional layer of this story is I applied to be the executive director and I didn't get the job. Mm. So I joined the team in another capacity. Um, And so then to turn around uh, not two years later and it's like, okay, now now that we're in this mess, uh, we do need someone to step up. Uh, And I did it anyway. Um, And I think in hindsight, like obviously the timing is perfect, right? Um, I think I was really meant to be the person to turn the organization around yeah. and create a space for for people uh, to do their thing. Um, I think that that is a big part of my calling and my purpose. Um, and so now it all makes sense. But you know, I think for me uh, the confidence actually wasn't really there. It wasn't like, oh, I know I can do this thing. It was more like, well, somebody needs to do the thing. Mm -hmm. I do have a plan. Mm. It doesn't look like anyone else really has a strong plan right Mm. now. So I guess we can move forward in this way. Um, And that's why I say, another part of the reason that I say accidentally. Um, I think where I actually started to build the confidence though is in um really starting to understand my own ego Mm. um i think that ego really keeps us in a place of fear and a big part of the reason that i couldn't build confidence and and wasn't didn't have a grounded confidence um was because I was afraid uh, to let folks know about the things I didn't know. Mm, I knew a lot on. of things. Let's speak about it. But there were also a lot of things that I didn't know how to do, but I didn't want to be vulnerable and let that be known because I didn't want folks to think less of me mm-hmm. or to not trust my leadership, etc. You just so, want to jump into the SEL skills boom, right away, right? Boom. Ooh. So yeah, for me, it was definitely like, okay, mm. I don't need to be right. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need to have that attachment to being right. Um, I don't need to know everything. And it's even better if I let folks know 
when I don't know mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I mean, key self-awareness right there. When we know our strengths and our limitations. And a lot of times we want to all execute in our strengths and be like, this is what I had. This is what I'm good at. Right. And nobody want to share that. This is actually what I'm struggling with. Or this is what I'm working on. Yeah. And when you share that though, it actually shows that you're a very high, highly self-aware person yes. and you're, and you're moving in a space that, or you're creating a space of people to be highly self-aware. Cause as a leader, I, I can only imagine when you walk into spaces and you're like, you're actually good at this. So I'm going to let you take the lead at it. I could because yeah. I run this organization and I could do what you do, but I might not be able to do that piece as yes. well as you. Yes. And as a leader, it takes a lot to say that. But then also as people that's on your team to recognize that in you is also or see it in you is also a beautiful thing so i commend you for even like practicing that with intention Thank you. Um, because it's not always easy it's hard no. to say when you walk into spaces that i don't know how to do something yes people always be like i don't know what if people think it's easy or hard but for me it was hard it was like a thing for me like i was like you know i don't know if i want to tell you because I, I don't want you to think less of me right but when you do that there's always this collaboration and this beautiful teamwork that becomes so strong from the thing that you thought you weren't good at yeah and i i think you know in hearing you say that um a thing that i had to come to understand and realize is like i'm also the oldest child wow. the you know the oldest daughter mm-hmm. um and there's a lot that comes with that. And so for me, um, coming to understand that a lot of my self-worth was rooted in being the leader, the one who stepped up, um, the one who did the thing. And so not wanting to be vulnerable was really rooted in my self-worth and not wanting folks to, like I said, think less of me because how that would impact my own perception. I think that's so good. And I really want to go into the, like your journey a little bit deeper because a lot of times when people look at people in the field, like this SEO director, it's like, I can never attain that. I can never be in that position. So yeah. So I want to talk to to you about a little bit about how media has changed, like your perspective um, in the work that you do every day. And also in this perspective, like actually seeing media that you don't produce or create or publish right so i want to talk about this because i think we need to enlighten our people and then also just from you you being in the midst of the work what does that look like to you on a day-to-day yeah um so because i came into the work uh so scalawag we focus on the south um and so my orientation to the work and my entry point was really about being southern and being from the south it was not about media, um, which is very interesting because journalists um, and media makers, uh, especially at a particular level, are like very serious mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. being journalists. It's a whole identity crisis for them, um, like truly. Yeah. Um, and so for me, coming in and really being a part of this industry where folks are very much attached to what they feel is an identity and it's really an affinity has been very interesting, especially in an industry that, um, you know, in, in journalism in particular, um, the tenet of objectivity mm. um, being sort of at the core of the work um, is like bogus mm-hmm. um, because like there's, objective people don't exist. Like that's just not a thing. Um, Cause we all have, have bias. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I think seeing that and also understanding objectivity's link to white supremacy and therefore to anti-blackness and understanding that like, okay, now I work in this industry where like, I mean, most things are predicated on Mm -hmm. white supremacy, but in particular, this industry where people are very attached to this tenet of objectivity, which is very much rooted in white supremacy. And we understand black people, um, you know, something that you said earlier, us as as mass consumers, but also us as influencers of the culture and um, slash the actual culture, Um, you know, how is the media supposed to really 
be with and for black people mm. if it is very much rooted in white supremacy and the answer is like it can't be mm. and so here they are making money off of us and not serving us and mm. so now a lot of my work is both through scalawag and through coaching like how are we dismantling white supremacy within media mm. um as a way to um yeah, really actually move folks toward reaching and serving and working with Black people and Black communities um, as a part of our work, which must happen. Has to happen. Must happen. So thank you for that because, you know, I have, first of all, I have some dope friends and like to know that I was, I was talking on an interview um, a while ago and it was about how I didn't realize until probably about a year and a half ago that I was an activist. I really, I, I really didn't see myself as that. I was like pushing and That's fighting. Fascinating, fascinating, right? <laughs> like seriously, and I was pushing and fighting through, and I knew I was different than like my colleagues because you know you gotta understand I was I was wearing this business hat, yeah, and not this nonprofit hat. Yeah. And I once I switched over, I felt like I found my people. Yeah, and. And I actually felt like I was struggling in this this space uh, because it was like all about the, oh, we want the contracts. We want the curriculum. We want to go in here. And I started seeing it be, become corrupted mm -hmm. almost. And I was like, eh, I don't, something's not right here. Mm -hmm. And I had to figure out what can I do for my people. But being able to be encountered in also a community with people that, are fighting against white supremacy and dismantling it in their respective fields is like I feel like I found my tribe of people because yeah. we're we're all up against it yes. in different forms and fashions, yes. right? And um just like I mean just with what I was just talking to we we're talking about like, you know, making sure that we're including black people at the table when we're having conversation. Like these are so important and it's so important to understand that in media because Let's just talk about the pandemic real quick. Yeah. You know, black people, we don't have double pandemics, triple pandemics, whatever you want to call it. Yes. And still happening now, yes. right, yeah. with our recent event. And so, like, you know, because I had to stop watching the videos. Yes. I had to stop it for yes. my own mental health. Yes. Um, it was too triggering for me. Uh, the, the police brutality videos, that is. It was too triggering to me. And so, like, what is your stance on like how we as black people are are engaging in the media when it comes to the police brutality piece. Yes. Um, well, I actually just wrote about this. Oh, tell us where it's at. Um, I sent out an email. I suggested an email. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, because it's also, it's Black History Month. Yes. It's Black History yes. Month. Um, uh, and I'm writing this email about um, spectacle mm. and how um, I was actually writing about the Greensboro Four and the sit-in movement and how mm. obviously before February 1 um, when they first sat in at the Woolworth Counter in Greensboro there were sit-ins before there was a sit-in here uh, in Durham yeah. um, parlor ice cream sit-in um, but those sit-ins, those actions did not spark a movement. And so mm. it's like, why is that? Mm -hmm. And the thing that was different is that on the first day, on February 1, when they sat in, when they walked out of Woolworths, when it closed for the day, mm -hmm. there was a reporter there. Mm -hmm. And they shot what what is now one of the most famous images from that um, event and asked them, are you coming back the next day? And mm -hmm. they said, yes. And so when they come back the next day, February 2nd and 3rd, the media starts showing up. Hmm. And so really thinking about how, um, you know, a, a spectacle is um, an event or an occurrence that has a visual impact mm -hmm. um, and how mm. the media is really in that way a steward of spectacle. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when we're thinking about uh police brutality um with if the media was not there we also know that there have been many other black people killed by police 
and there has not been media coverage right. of those killings, right? So it's the ones that the media is actually picking up on and providing visuals for, whether video or sharing video from um, bystanders, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. That's what creates the spectacle. Mm-hmm. That's what creates the impact. Mm. That's what sparks um, the actions that occur after that. Um, you know, as a part of that, it's also when people see those images, mm-hmm. they're making a judgment about the humanity of the people involved. Mm. If we think back to lynchings mm-hmm. um, and the spectacle of lynching, you know, they sent postcards out. That was the media of the time, but of folks after they had been lynched. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it is it is very much, in my opinion, it is it is present day lynching. And so what is the impact on black people? It's like, OK, well, when people see those images, they're making a decision around, did this person deserve it? Mm. Um, you know, is the police officer wrong? Um, and the answer to this is like, of course, this person didn't deserve it. Of course, the police are, are wrong. Of course, they're, you know, murdering people because this is a person and this is yeah. not what we do to people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't know that many folks in media understand themselves as gatekeepers of humanity. Mm, wow. And so, you know, when every day they have a play a role in deciding whether or not black people are bestowed humanity. Mm hmm. You know, uh, when they don't take that seriously, when they're not careful with that, what ends up happening is continued narratives yeah. that reinforce our inhumanity mm-hmm. when we are literally human beings. Mm. Like, I, I just had to write that down, y'all. <laughs> I need to have us be pushing some quotes out because that's so good. Now, you know, because what this is about is bringing people that are in their own expertise, like, that come on, and then I can connect social-emotional learning. And one of the things that you said just makes me automatically think of responsible decision-making. Yes. In the media, it is your social responsibility to make sure whatever you're putting out, you know, and there's a, there's a five-step uh, approach to a responsible decision. Mm. And so it's not just a common sense that like, what is I your, love a framework. Yes. And so there's a five step approach and the first approach is identifying the problem. Then we have analyzing the situation. So a lot of times we have problems, then we don't analyze it. Right. We don't say, what is the pattern of my problem? How many times has this problem occurred? Right. And then we solve the problem. Once we find a solution for the problem, people always be like, okay, I'm done. On to the next thing. But it's actually the reflection, the evaluation. And then it's actually six step. And then the last part is, was this the most ethically responsible decision that I could have made? And so when you are in media. I love that. Right. So when you're in media, it's like, was this the most ethical decision that we could have made to put this out? Was this the most? And, you know, one of my friends, shout out to Lindsay Granger. She's a reporter. Good friend of mine. You'll see her at the wedding. Love that. Yes. Yes, (laughs) And so she's a reporter, but she's also a part of the, uh, she works for Daily Blast News, the national coverage, and also does some stuff with Revolt. Just been in the game for a long time. And she, uh, you might have seen her, she went viral because uh, she called out journalists because of the Kobe Bryant situation, mm. how they mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. told the world that he was dead before his wife found out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, him and his daughter were passed away before his wife found out. Mm-hmm. And she said, where is the journalist with integrity? Mm-hmm. Where are the journalists? Like, we have come to a point where you just want to put a story out so quickly, want to be the first one that you're not even having empathy you're not having, per, you're not perspective taking of actually people's who this is their family, right? And so these are all SEL skills that people in media have to like either learn, adopt, take in because this is something you have to practice yes. and, it, and it reflects in your work, Yes. right? Yes. And so it's just making me like, wow, to think of that and to understand the importance of making sure that even our our, our media companies are trained in SEL, specifically yes. black, yes. you know, black SEL, yes. because we could we we gonna help our people yes. first, you know, yeah. like we, we, we got we got first we got an obligation, you yes. know. When I think of our ancestors, they they believed it was their or it was an act of liberation to go back and say, I just know how to read and write, so I'm gonna teach you how to yes. read and write, right? And a lot of times nowadays we're like, oh, we know this thing, we gonna keep moving. We can't we do can't. that. We are, this is communal. We, we are have collective to, people. We are collective people. Are collective. 
Um, and so what I want to talk about right now is about the importance in showcasing more black media in our community. And so like with Scallywag, you know, this is just one obviously publication and there's so many other ones that, that are like kind of under the radar. Mm -hmm. And why is it important to showcase black media? Why is it important to, to let people know that you all are here? Yes. Yeah. And even to get the resources. Cause that's a whole nother topic right here. A we got a we got topic. a whole guru in the building for resources. Okay, she's gonna fight for her people and she's gonna Period. get the bag. And we're but going listen, to get the money. The money. The okay. Money. And that's the big thing because I do feel like there are lots of media publications that are struggling that are black. Even organizations such as our Black SEL and um and uh, all these other black organizations that are in SEL, they're like oh, well, there's so much money out here, but we don't know how to get it. Yes. And that's the whole conversation itself. The whole conversation. But, like, why do you think it's important? Yeah. Um, so I, I think it is particularly important for Black liberatory media. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Because there, there What's is, the difference? Tell me. There is some Black yeah. media uh-huh. that... And I get it, right? Mm-hmm. Like the system is capitalism. Yep. The way that you survive, yep. you or got the gossip. <laughs> yeah, like what are like what yeah. you're being taught is like the way that you survive is through the accumulation of wealth. Yeah. And it's like, well, that can't be like the end goal. Like yeah. the accumulation of wealth is allowing you to, like you just said, mm-hmm. come back to the collective with yeah. those resources to figure out what we build together. It's not for you to hoard it, um, like the white people do. So. Yeah, I think um, Black liberatory media is uh, media that is done in service of change. Mm -hmm. And that's really the legacy of a lot of Black media. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking about the legacy Black press. Wow. um, And those newspapers run by Black people all over the country. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were free to community. and really talked about and held space for what was happening with our people. Um, and that's like really important for us to have information from each other and to be able to communicate with each mm-hmm. other uh, about what's happening. But also just like non-Black people need to be reading Black media too, right. because we can't really like trust other folks to accurately talk about our experiences like that is the legacy of traditional um and big media companies and we've seen the narratives that they have put out about black people uh and and how those narratives uh fuel our oppression um so you know being able to as a part of your media diet have media that's coming from um black people and in particular black people that want better for us you just said a part of your media diet yeah i have never ever heard of those words together yeah wow like expand on media diet like just yeah so when we talk about media diet we're thinking about the different media that you consume because Mm. all of us are consuming different types of media every day and so if you think about what's on your media plate like, where is your news and information coming from? Yeah. If it's coming from largely, like, let's say, you know, most of your plate is the New York Times. Well, like, we know the New York Times, they be out here. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of folks also forget that most media companies are, like, family-owned businesses. Mm-hmm. Like, we're talking about a white person decades ago started this media company and then just passed it down to their yeah, children yeah and now they own this media company and have accumulated all this wealth <laughs> um and so i think when you think about it from that lens it's like okay all of, i mean you know and a lot of these organizations have won many awards and they've done really groundbreaking work so right you know not trying to negate that yeah. but yeah these are family-owned businesses yeah. that got really big yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I think as black people too like that are not in the media space we don't look at media that seriously yeah to, to like we just click in and turn the channel or we're scrolling and 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 watching what we watch we and just start just gossiping on, off of what we hear but 
we don't even know if it's a real credible source. And if you thought about your media diet, then you would think about what am I eating? What am I consuming? Where is it coming from? How is it fueling my health? Or how is it fueling my degradation? Mm, that's so good. So I feel like I want to like dig deeper into this about us as Black people. How do we hold ourselves accountable? And how how can Black people be more involved in in just media in general or like you said, we have a, a, a social or a responsibility to ourselves to have a media diet. I believe that's crucial. Um, and I also believe that protects us um, in many aspects mm -hmm. from trauma. Mm -hmm. Like if there's certain media outlets that you're only going to get gossip. Mm -hmm. And is it really feeding your soul, mm -hmm. right? You have other media outlets where you're going to get knowledge and insight and you're going to learn. And affirmation. Affirmation. It looks like you. It mm -hmm. feels like you. And mm -hmm. we believe in cultural affirmation around mm -hmm. here, right? And then even the cultural relevance piece. Yeah. Like, it's relevant to my life. Yes. It speaks to my soul, right? Yes. Um, and so how do you feel Black people can get more involved in media? That is a... Excellent question. Being a media maker, being a creator mm -hmm. is anyone can be a media maker. Um, you know, I like breaking it down to a foundational level, like when you have thoughts, ideas, experiences, mm -hmm. and you express them through a medium, writing, painting, yeah. filmmaking, et cetera, you, you are a media maker. Um, I think that what is harder is that there aren't actually a lot of black media outlets and platforms. Mm. And so while we have a lot of individual uh, black media makers and creators, we don't actually have a lot of places for them to bring their work and have it platform and have it pushed out to an audience. Mm. Uh, so that it can be encountered in the world. Yeah. Um, the platforming of media, having an outlet, is really expensive and yeah. it's hard and it's hard to build one. Absolutely. And it takes a lot to reach audiences. Mm -hmm. um, and it's designed that way. And it's designed that way. <laughs> um, it's designed for yeah. you to like, need to have a lot of money to mm -hmm. do it. Um, and so, you know, I think for Black people to get involved, it's like, okay, how do we start to build black media platforms? Um, what are the values and principles that we want our platforms to have? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, how do we ensure the sustainability? Um, you know, because back to what I was saying earlier, like not all black media is actually for us. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. you know, we don't want to just have any old black media platforms. Like, what are where are the platforms that are are bringing about revolutionary and transformational change? Revolutionary and transformational change, so important. Um, you know, one I ha I've been in. I was in a critical media class. I know, and it, you know, we talked about this. It's just been like blowing I'm my mind. I know, it. <laughs> it's been blowing my mind. And um, but one of the questions we talked about um, like earlier uh, that I've been talking about for a while now is what does liberation look like to you? Mm -hmm. And then um, the other question is really like asking yourself like how am I contributing mm -hmm. to media, mm -hmm. right? And I mean, and this is a day-to-day -day thing. And what I feel for me is that, and this is something that we're going to talk about, because I believe that there yeah. more Black people need to look into writing mm -hmm. for media. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because I feel like we, you know, we could write books, we could write curriculums, we could do all these things, um, but we kind of shy away from, like, allowing our voice to be heard mm -hmm. on platforms where because we i don't think we think about it i don't mm -hmm. think it, we even think it's like tangible or real I don't we know. also like we have a whole media system that like you know the the dominant media system mm -hmm. traditional media system like literally ignored black people so it's like really? and when they didn't ignore them they like went into our communities were hella extractive and then walked away with these harmful narratives that mm -hmm. made our lives worse so 
you know, I understand when black people are like, be just triggered. Talk to the media, Mm -hmm. put my stuff out there on a platform. No, thank you. No, thank you. I know what I can hunt me down. Yeah. Now they can have uh, uh, what drones over my house. So seriously. Yes, the FBI. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because people are being reported on, are showing up and following people. Like, these are very real realities for black people. So I get it. Yeah. And, but it, but it, boils down to the question of what does liberation really look like exactly. to you? Because um, liberation is about freedom. It is. It's about, and what does freedom look like? And if we cannot, uh, if we cannot express ourselves or let our voices be heard in any space, then yeah. we're truly not free. Exactly. And narrative is so core to our ability to get free mm. like our stories <laughs> they're literally we're literally talking about our stories storytelling um yeah so when we tell our stories um it can literally be a reality check if we think about it like on an individual independent yeah. level like if i just keep all my stories in my head mm-hmm. or keep them to myself mm-hmm. i'm moving through the world with just my narrative and just my story mm. but when i share it with somebody else then it helps me understand that like there's a whole different perspective out yep. there that can help me make m- meaning of the world around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what does it look like to do that on a systems level? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when, speaking of systems, you know, I want to go into politics a bit because I think that black people, we shy away from politics. We might listen to it and flip around or, you know, but some of us, mm-hmm. and then some of us are very, 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 invested. yeah, very <laughs> invested and in, which I know you are. And so how can you make a call to action per se to black people to be more invested in politics in their communities and what's going on, even if that's by the people in the South picking up Scalawag, reading online, yeah. whatever, to just be invested more into learning and understanding what is really happening. Yeah. Um, I will preface this with, I'm not a policy girl. Mm-hmm. I just, policy, there's so much policy out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are brilliant people who understand policy better than I do. Yeah. And I thank them so much for sharing their knowledge. Right. Um, but I am a people powered movement girl. Mm. Um, and so I think even if folks aren't taking the time to understand what the policies are, like we should know generally what is happening, but again, there's a lot out there. I think folks where folks could really invest their time, uh, and their attention and really feel like they're getting something out of it. It's like, who is building power in your community? Right. And how do you join in on that action? Mm. Um, And through that, learn more about what's actually going on. But, you know, white people build power all the time. Mm. They will show up to the town hall meetings and the city council meetings and the participatory budgeting meetings. And they know everything about how things are getting gerrymandered and how Mm. the district lines are changing and they are constantly fighting to keep things in favor of them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they also understandably like have the time to do that because of how white supremacy functions. But like, what does it look like for us to invest more in power building, um, in organizing, in showing up yeah. and knocking doors and showing up and having the conversations mm-hmm. Um, because we know, and we've seen across the South yep. recently in particular, mm-hmm. that if we can mobilize folks, we can, we can make some things <laughs> we shake. Can we can make right. some things shake. Right. We might not know all the policies, yeah. but we can get the people to the places that they need to be to cast the votes, yeah. uh, in favor of folks who are hopefully going to make changes for the better for, uh, our people in our communities. Mm. That's so good. And it's so in- encouraging to... Like for people to just know it's not too late to to really get invested and get involved. Um, so one of your last pieces on the Scalawag Magazine states, trauma doesn't die with us. And how can we ensure that our generation is using SEL to heal our traumas? This is also an excellent question. Um, yeah, uh, that piece is a part of a 
series initiative that we have at Scalawag called mm-hmm. Grief and Other Loves. Mm. Um, and it's really about how grief and love are one and the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when I think about um, trauma for a lot of us, it is grief. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, really for, for me, what I've come to understand is like grief is the process of moving toward acceptance. Mm. And, you know, uh, it can be really hard to accept a new reality, accept a change, accept that the thing that you expected to be true is no longer true. Mm. But when we don't accept, that's when we get stuck in, you know, sadness and anger Mm -hmm. um, and denial uh, and disillusionment. Um, And that's what, you know, for me, I think what I've experienced is like, that's how trauma builds up in our bodies. Um, That is uh, how, that is like sort of what keeps us from being able to let go and make space for mm-hmm. something new. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, being able to be aware of where we are in our grief process, mm-hmm. um, what are the things that we are holding yeah. on to oh, wow. um, that is really uh, impacting our ability to move forward um it's all about self-awareness and telling ourselves the truth yeah. like telling yourself the truth is like so yeah. hard it's it so can be hard. so hard you talk you're talking about accurate self-perception yes right and so like a tenant underneath self-awareness is this accurate self-perception and it's not just takes you saying I'm actually a timely person and I show up on time. And then your homegirls being like, mm, actually, you always you're late. always you're late, always right? Late. And so are you really, act- do you actually, uh, or accurately, excuse me, perceive yourself as something that you're not? Yes. And that's hard. It's hard. To realize, but the people that love you will literally affirm you at the same time as they, t- yes. as they give you criticism. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Mm. And without that, it's like, yeah, um, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to move forward. Yeah, um, and I, I think that's like another uh, big part of learning for me mm. um, over the last couple of years, and uh, how all of that is attached to ego, and how yes. ego is literally there to protect you from those hard truths mm-hmm. um, because they hurt. Yeah, they hurt. They hurt. Um, and so. Also, understanding ego as not a bad thing, but as something that's literally there to, uh, as a as a as a coping mechanism yeah. in some ways, as a there to protect you from that trauma and from that the things that are are yet unhealed. So, yeah, like how do we get really comfortable with yeah. who we are mm-hmm. and knowing that that is okay yeah. and that like. Yeah, I'm always late, but that doesn't make me less worthy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's good. So as we wrap up, I want to just really think about the, you know, the black person. Because we talked about a, um, I read an article a while back that was talking about um, poverty tax in the brain and all these things. And a lot of our... Uh, black people are living in poverty. I mean, that's just the facts, right? We look at statistics and we see that they're, and especially, I don't even know what the numbers are now after COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, thinking about ways to just invest in, or they invest in themselves to to read. Because I think that, you know, what was the saying? If you, 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 wanna, you want to hide... Uh, information put it in the book mm-hmm, for black people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like and it's to this day like i've i have overcome that but it was for a long time coming like i and it was like something way on me like that i wouldn't read mm-hmm. and it, it started when i was little i was reading and then when i got to college i was like oh, i'm just gonna skim through this mm-hmm. and but it, it took away the importance of actually like understanding material and, mm-hmm. and dissecting and comprehending and all those things and like just i want you to speak to the everyday black person mm-hmm. that potentially 
is not a reader. Like they they gonna watch this and they gonna watch it all day. Mm-hmm. But like in media, because I think sometimes we miss out on lots of things because we do not read mm-hmm. and we do not take the time to add that in our diet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just speak to and just talk about the importance, how it's changed your life. Let me tell you something about how you ask excellent questions. <laughs> Let me tell you. Listen, because this helping me. I, so I, I am you and you are me. I actually, I'm going to push us because mm-hmm. when we think about the tenets of white dominant and white supremacist culture, mm-hmm. it's actually praise of the written word. Mm. And I think that for a lot of black people, indigenous cultures as well but black people the way that we have always passed down information and narrative and storytelling is speaking Mm. um and so for me the push is actually for media makers and creators to think about how the content that we're burying in written text can be turned into yes. auditory yes. content. Yes. I'm an auditory um, learner. Yes. I, I listen to yep. audiobooks. All the time. I listen Every day. to podcasts. Yep. I'm multimedia. You need to show it to me. Yes, I need to see yeah, it. I need to see and it. so it's like and and also black people watch the news. Like my mm-hmm. mama, she watches the news all <laughs> the time. Okay. So it's not that, you know, I don't even think it's that we don't want to read, is that like the expectation is that we consume content in this very white way. Mm-hmm. Um, when there are other ways of presenting that content. And so that's a lot of what we think about at Scalawag. It's like, what are the other ways both that we already know about and that folks have not even imagined yet of us presenting content Mm. so that we can reach more people with this information versus Mm. expecting people to come to our website and read this thing. Um, So, you know, one of the things that we're talking about right now is like, are we going to produce a play? Like, there's a myriad of yes. ways to share information. Yes. Um, and so reading is fundamental. Mm-hmm. That's always going to be true. And also, like, is what we're really talking about is the consumption of information. And that information can be shared in more than just books yeah. and writing. Oh, this is good. So I am so excited about this because I know someone that is listening, the people that are listening are really going to be inspired by this and going to look at media differently in their role and what black as a black person, how they should not just look at media, but play a role in media and how play a role and also viewing media for themselves. Yes. That media diet hit me different. Okay. Because I like, I'm going to use that language because responsible responsible consumption and it's so good because it's, it's when we are intentionally practicing social and emotional skills, we have to be responsible in every aspect yeah. of what we consume yes. because it literally shapes our identity. Yes. So like when we are identifying our emotions, we like, Oh, why are you feeling so depressed? Or why are you feeling this way? What did you read? What did, what you, did you look see? at? Yes. What did you see? Who's around you? Who's around you? Yes. What's influencing you? What did you like? You know, yes. when we talk about legacy over likes our brand. We, we don't just talk about the likes we get. Yes. We talk about the likes we give. Yes. What is making a mental impression yes. on you every time you like them and now you want those shoes or you want yes. that bag or you want, you know? And so as black people, we have to be conscious of that. Yes. And we have to also be conscious of our power uh, because we just be out here just talking. And then that, that's a media in itself, that you know, <laughs> that's a write up in itself, you yes. know, like use your voice and make it matter. Yes. You know, make it impactful. Yes. Um, so yeah, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah. So, um, definitely check out Scalawag yes. at scalawagmagazine.org. Yes. Um, and I'm on Twitter mm-hmm. at Iola B. Hinton. So I-O-L-A-B. H-I-N-T-O-N. Mm-hmm. Um, follow me. Yes. Um, I'll be tweeting. You be tweeting. She be tweeting. <laughs> she tweeting. be tweeting. <laughs> um, yeah. And Scalawag um, at Scalawag Mag okay. on all platforms. Awesome. We are going to make sure we link that down below. And thank you so much thank for you, just, you always, every time I'm around you. Wait, let me just also say publicly that I want to thank you because there are, there are lots of people that say things, but they're not about things. And ever since I've met Sierra, she has been about 
that action, but she's also been about what she says. And even, and you have done something very special to me. And I don't think you know how impactful it is. And I know that Sierra's not the type of person that will be like, oh, I'm going to tell you what I've done. But I'm going to tell you what she's done. Because she donates literally monthly to my organization. And I see it come in. And I'm like, I mean, when I tell you it's a different, because I know that she's donating from the heart. Like, this is a, a Sierra thing. This is not a scallywag thing. This is not a someone else's. This is Sierra saying, I am choosing organizations. And I'm probably not your only organization, okay? I am choosing organizations. It's black women. Listen, it's black women. Listen, I am, like, choosing to invest and pour into a black woman and I feel seen. I love that. I feel heard. I, I feel appreciated. That. And even on the worst months or the worst days, when I see that, like it, and I'm going to get emotional because it's very, you don't see that a lot from black women and we have to continue to support each other. Yes. And this is what black SEL is all about. You know, like it's perspective taken. It's like Krista just started this thing and she's passionate about it. She's driven. It's and- incredible. Your work is incredible. <laughs> it is worth investing in. Thank I can't you. wait for the episode where we talk about fundraising. Yes, please. Because, yes, We're going to have that. The, that's the impact that it's supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Like in a capitalist system, yeah. like, we have to give money. Like, we that's have the, to. We have to. We're not going to. We're not going <laughs> to succeed. Just, we're not going to succeed without it. So, and yes. we're tired of black organizations feeling like they're always in survival mode. Yes. Why do we have to live like that? We that's don't. not my portion. We don't. I'm not living like that. You know. And so I appreciate you. Of course. And I thank you um, publicly and in private. You know, always publicly though, because I'm always going to praise a black woman publicly. Like that's my thing. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you yes. for educating thank us for on media. You. And I'm just looking forward to more to come. Yes. And you will see uh, Sierra at our Black SEL Summit yes. in, in, in some shape, capacity, or form. She yes. will be there. And shout out to Scallywag for sponsoring. They were one of our sponsors for last year. Um, and so I'm really excited about about what's to come this year for 2023. Thank you so much. Thank and you. again, this is Black S-E-L. Blackity Black. Blackity Black. 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 And we're out. Thank you for listening to the Black SEL Podcast. If you'd like to support the movement and be a part of us impacting more Black communities with our resources around the nation, you can donate to blackseel.org or click the link in our show notes. It's time we share our own stories. Help amplify Black voices by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts for the Black SEL Podcast. Leaving a review has a bigger impact than you think. It not only helps more people find the show, but it helps more Black people realize that they are not alone. We all know what it feels like to be unheard, but Black SEL is a safe space for us and by us. Leaving a review can take you less than five minutes, but the impact will change lives.